0: Welcome to the James Gang Bible Study. We're going to be blessed tonight to hear the word taught by one of our elders, Greg Harrell. originates from New Mexico, and after high school, he left home and went to the wide, wide blue seas across the world with the Coast Guard. He's been in the railroad industry for years and has a business that he founded a few years ago with his wife called Rail Force. That's what they operate today. He has been an air traffic controller, so I guess transportation has been part of his thing from the the seas to the skies to the railway lines. His business serves this region from South Texas to West Texas and beyond, so he covers a lot of territory. He's a man of God. He's one of the elders here. He ministers to children here. He encourages the pastor. Yep. He's just a great guy. He is heavily involved in marriage ministry. Helped numerous marriages here at this house and, and beyond. And we are just blessed to have Greg
1: be a part of our congregation. And so Greg, right now
0: we turn it to you.
1: Alrighty, Pastor Allen. Thank you. It's really a blessing for me to, to be here tonight. Before we get started, I, I'd just like to take just a second here. Let's let's just pray over this over this meeting tonight. If you join me, we'll pray. Well, Lord. I lift up the scripture that uh, that you have given us tonight, Lord God. I thank you in the name of Jesus in advance that you're going to use me, Father God, that I'll get out of your way, Lord God, that every word that I speak, Lord, would be pleasing to you, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that you prepare the hearts of the hearer to hear your truth. In Jesus' name, be with us tonight, Holy Spirit. Come and dwell in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. All right, for everybody that's keeping score tonight, here's the thing, if I say this morning, because I'm used to speaking in the morning, you can deduct one-tenth of a style point, so, um, I got it. You got it? (laughs) Thank you, Jason. Um, I will tell you that I stand before you tonight and I'm a humbled man, not in a a manipulative way, I'm humbled for a couple of reasons, and I'm humbled on the first part because I've had an opportunity to listen to every one of these teachings that we've uh, that we've had as we go through the book of James and every man that has taught thus far has just done a wonderful job and and I am so blessed to know that here in this body that we have mighty men of God that love the word and are willing to teach the word. And so that's a that's a humbling thing in and of itself for me to take my turn in the box here. The other thing that I would say is that's really humbling to me um, is that when Pastor Allen said, well, I want you to teach on on faith and works, that is the latter part of James chapter 2, I said, yeah, yeah I'll take that. And uh, um, I'm going I'm to tell you a little story. When I was in high school, we lived in a little cabin up in the mountains of New Mexico, man. It was backwards. I'm telling you it was backwards and uh we were <laughs> we were in the middle of nowhere and uh, I made a deal I was going to go to the i was going go to the senior prom with my my best girlfriend and so I made a deal with my dad, and my dad said, "I'll tell you what, I'll give you the money to go to the senior prom. I needed to rent a tux and buy some flowers for my best girlfriend and so I was like all of us probably, short on money at the time, you know. And He said, I'll give you $100 if you dig a seat pit for our washer. That is, you're not gonna, we're not going to run the washer into the septic system anymore. We're going to have a seat pit, and it's going to run in there. I said, well, how big need to be, Dad? And he said, well, it's going to be six feet wide, <laughs> square, and it's going to be five feet deep. Oh, Oh, I got it. I got it, Dad. I got it. $100. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. No problem. So I got out there, and uh, I went through about, I would say, three and a half inches of topsoil, and I hit my first layer of rock in the mountains of New Mexico. And I went back to my dad, and I said, Hey, Dad, here's the deal. Look, like, there's... There's a layer of rock here. (laughs) And he said, yeah. I said, well, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard. (laughs) He said, yeah. He said, yeah, it is. I said, well, I mean, can we renegotiate? He said, no. So I went out there and started digging, and every time I would break a pitch, um, he'd buy me another one. But the first layer of rock was about 14 inches thick, and then I went through about three and a half inches of some kind of gooey stuff, and then I hit another layer of rock. And I kept digging, and my dad would not let me off the hook until that stinking pit was dug. And I, and and the price did not increase. It was a hundred dollars, and I had a goal. But the reason I say that is because. When I jumped on the faith and works issue, I thought, yeah, no problem. You know, I'm I'm pretty, you know, I got it going on. I know what's going on in the Scripture, and uh, I sailed off in there. And let me tell you something. I am humbled as I stand here before you, just to consider some of the things that I have to consider and try to teach tonight. Because I'm going to tell you, the great fathers of the church have considered these issues and have wrestled with these issues and tried to understand the relationship between faith and works and what James is is trying to tell us and and all of the implications of, of what faith really means and they they are still struggling with that today. So if if you don't mind as as we teach tonight, I'm gonna to ask you to give me a little bit of grace because it's a very Deep subject. It is a subject that could humble any one of us as, if you get into it. So before we get started, I want to go to the context. Well, actually, before we get even before we get started, go ahead. Did, did
0: you have to pay for the picks you broke?
1: No, no, <laughs> no. Those were free. Take
0: that out? The
1: question was, did I have to pay for the picks that were broke? And I think I probably went through about seven of them.
2: No long, kidding. How
1: long did it take? It took me. Well, the one area of grace that I did get, yeah, I got I got the $100 because the prom came and went.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I was still digging. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. I think I finished that sucker about three weeks after the prom. Anyway, <laughs> so I'll still be teaching three months from now on this subject. You know? come, back, come back next week, we'll be talking about it. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, before we get started, uh, I just want to talk a little bit. Uh, as I was preparing this lesson, one of the things, Jason, you'll you'll be uh, interested in this, um, that I was looking at as I I looked at this book of faith that we call James. Okay, and I was actually looking at the structure of the whole New Testament. It occurred to me that as I looked at the structure of the New Testament, we can actually look at it very. Kind of interesting, you know, first in the in the New Testament we have the story of Jesus in the Gospels and Acts. And then we have the epistles, the Pauline epistles or the Gentile epi- epistles. And so that is really where Paul is making the case for salvation through Christ Jesus. And then we have a bunch of epistles that are typically called the Hebrew epistles um, that would tell us what we're going to do once we're saved. And included in that are Hebrews and James. So Hebrews and James being right next to each other. Hebrews being a, a book of faith revealed. And James being the book of faith activated. And then, of course, we enter in, end up with the book of Revelation that talks about the coming king and ultimate restoration of God's creation. So anyway... I want to get into a little bit of the context of, of this book of James um, before we start off into the into the actual passage. And that is, you know, as we look at the book of James, one of the things that's interesting to me, and, and Pastor Allen covered this on the first week when we started it in this lesson, but I think it's important for us to talk about it again tonight. And that is, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? And James... The writer of this book was also a leader of the early church in Jerusalem. James was actually, according to 1 Corinthians 15, um, was re- was Jesus was revealed to James directly. And once, post-resurrection, once James met Jesus in his role as, as resurrected Savior, James jumped on board. And he became such an authority leader of the church, the early church in Jerusalem, that ultimately, not only the the Jews, as they watched this early church explode, literally explode, the Jewish leaders could not have any more of this. And so what they finally did was they ended up taking him up to the very precipice of the temple and cast him off. And according to... uh, some of the early church writings, he survived that 100-foot drop once they cast him off the top of the temple. This is where Jesus was, was tempted, by the way. They cast him off the top of the temple. He survived that long enough to begin to pray for those who had cast him off the top of the temple, and ultimately they stoned him to death. Now, what happened was that this act was so divisive in regards to the early church, the killing of James, who who was shepherding the church through an explosive period of growth because of writings like we're going to study tonight, that it precipitated the Romans stepping into this rebellion or this division between the early church and the traditional Jews and that's what led up to the destruction of the temple. So as we look at this book, we really have to look at it in terms of... And, 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 and some people believe that this book was actually is actually the earliest writing that we have in the New Testament. Some people would say that the letter of James was written around the time of Acts 15. So it actually even predates two of the Gospels. So it's one of the earliest scriptures that we have in the New Testament. And when you look at the book of James... You're looking at, 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 at a, a letter of exhortation and a letter of a call to living that is so high that it still speaks to us in, in great detail today. It's an amazing book, and it's something that we need to approach with, with great reverence, in my opinion, as we look at it. We ought to approach it with great reverence. Okay. In other words, what, the, what has happened to this book is that this book tr- turned, literally turned the world upside down as it had its impact on the early church. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Does anybody have any questions this, so far? You guys are being all quiet out there. Alright, we're going to sail off into the scriptures, um, we're going to start, we're going to read all the way from James 2, verse 14, all the way through the passage to the end of James 2, verse 26. As I read this passage, I'm going to ask you to look for three ki- kinds of faith, I'm going to tell you right now that they all start with a D, a D, so you're looking for three kinds of faith, beginning with D. Alright, what is a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is a prophet? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers, and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So, as I read through that passage, did any of you catch the... Dead faith. Dead faith. Okay, dead faith. faith That's of right. Deeds. Faith of good deeds. Faith, I, yeah, I would call it, you could call it, dynamic or demonstrated or deed faith. I think that's a good word. Yeah. And then there's one other. And I'll just... uh, There's actually, believe it or not, you look in there, there's a demonic faith. Mm -hmm. There's an acknowledgement that the demons believe. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) kind of keep that just available whenever you're talking to an atheist, you know, might be helpful. So we read this, we read this passage from James, and as you read it, then the first thing that you have to do this particular passage is you have to begin to say, "Well, I'm going to try to reconcile this this thing, faith and works." And this is really what a lot of some of the most famous, I don't want to call them theologians, but even the reformers have struggled with this issue of the reconciliation of faith and works. Um, In some ways, it's difficult for even the great men of the church to make that reconciliation, but but we know one thing. uh, Paul says, We are saved by grace through faith and not by works. That's what Paul says. So somebody has Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, if you read that quite loudly so that everybody at home can hear as well.
0: For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast.
1: Okay, so we have Paul saying that we're saved through grace and it is a gift. Not of works, right? Well, James two fourteen. Who has James two fourteen? I think. Go ahead, Jason. Read aloud. What does
3: it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him?
1: Okay. So the implication in our passage tonight would be that it really is a lot about works. And so what we want to do. One of the things that we need to do as we consider this passage, is we need to recon- reconcile these, these two. Seem, they seem to be like opposites. Paul saying, it's all about the grace. And James saying, yeah, but you've got to have works. Okay? Well, what James is saying is that it's impossible, impossible for someone that can have genuinely saving faith not to, not to also have works. This is what he's saying. So so the question is valid. Can that kind of faith, if he has that kind of faith, can it save him? Listen to this. James wrote from, he's writing in this book, in this letter. James is writing to Christians from a Jewish background. And what has happened to the Jews, the Jews have lived under the law, for literally thousands of years. He's the head of the church in Jerusalem, and they've been liberated from this law. See? And so they know the exhilaration of freedom that they're finding in the fact that there's, they have salvation through Christ Jesus, and they have received that. And what James is trying to do as he writes this letter is he's saying, yes, you do have that kind of salvation. You have that free gift through Christ Jesus, and you're believing it, and you're doing the right thing. But, don't go overboard. See, as they were living as Jews, it was all about keeping the law. It was all about what they were doing. And what James is trying to do, is he's trying to take these guys that are jumping off onto that freedom ship, and he's saying, you guys are exactly right, but, don't go to that extreme. Come back here and remember that you have a responsibility. Does that make sense? James is not contradicting Paul. Um, he is merely clarifying for us the kind of faith that saves us. And that kind of faith is, will always have works that accompany that faith. Okay? There's a saying, I want to read it, faith alone saves, faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. Faith that, Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is not alone, it has good works with it. Really, the truth of the matter is, is if we dig a little bit deeper and we look at some more of the writings of Paul... We're going to see that Paul also acknowledges that there are some works that are associated with our faith, and if we continue on in that and extend out that Ephesians 2 passage, and we look at Ephesians 2:10, and somebody's got that. Who's got, I got that? I got it. I got it. Ephesians 2:10.
2: For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand, so we may
3: do them.
1: So, so. On the one hand, Paul, just in the couple of verses before that, is saying, okay, it's not, it's not of ourselves, <laughs> but we are created to do good works. Amen. Isn't that cool? And that very next verse, who's, who's got Titus 3.8? This so, is a trustworthy statement
0: concerning these things. I want you to speak confidentially, confidently. That those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and
1: profitable for men. So Paul again is writing that it's good to engage in. And Vince's uh, Bible says good deeds. A lot of the versions would actually say good works. So while we're not we're not saying that works at all is anything that's going to do do anything about our salvation. Our works are a result of our faith and our salvation. Okay. I'm going to read just a couple of lines from Matthew Henry's <laughs> comment, commentary about this and, and talk about justification a little bit. Um, Matthew Henry's commentary says, The justification of which Paul speaks is different from that spoken of by James. The one speaks of our persons being justified before God, The other speaks of our faith being justified before men. Show me thy faith by thy works, says James. Let thy faith be justified in the eyes of those that behold thee by their works. But Paul speaks of justification in the sight of God, who justifies those only that believe in Jesus, and purely on account of the redemption that is in him. So, really, in terms of justification, we're talking about two different things. Does that make sense? And the final authority on this whole issue would have to be Jesus. And Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7:21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's going some pretty serious stuff. So I would say that that statement by Jesus is telling us that, yeah, we can... We can call on the name of Jesus, and and we see other areas where people have called on the name of Jesus, didn't do them any good, right? Some boys went in, (laughs) got whooped up by a bunch of demons. Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? All right. So let's take a look at this this question. Okay, so what is faith? What is faith? Whoa! this is a mind blower for me, guys. What is faith? And I, I'm i going to tell you that as we look at the word faith, just as it's translated, and we look at it in the Old Testament, it only occurs twice in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it, it occurs 243 times. 243 times the word faith. All right? A lot of people would say that, that uh that would mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, we're living in the age of grace. I'm going to tell you that I believe that right now we're living, and that, and I will say that that's a true statement, but we're also living in the age of faith. The age of faith. And if you want extra credit, you can go home and look at uh, Galatians 3, the latter part of Galatians 3, and figure that one out.
2: <coughs>
1: Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look. So faith is the substance, or, or, or in some new discovered tr- translations of how it would translate in the Greek would say the guarantee of things hoped for, and the evidence or convincing proof of things not seen. So, so. You, you look at this, you look at this statement, and i got to tell you, this statement for me is like, you know, and I know Paul is an awesome writer, but this one's hard for me to get a hold of. I don't know if it is for, like, for you guys, but it is for me. It, because it seems to be nebulous. It's almost like it seems to be something that says, well, you know, it's like we're looking into another... Uh, into another dimension or something. Um, so I continued on to say, okay, well, what is faith? What is faith? And in in the Greek, the word faith is uh, pistis, okay, which means a firm persuasion, a conviction based on hearing, um, always used as a faith in God or Christ or things spiritual. That's according to Strong's. Okay, the word is used to imply trust or trustworthiness, it's used to imply what is believed, an assurance or a pledge of fidelity, okay, and when you use it with the accompanied verb, which is uh, pistuo pistuo is the, the verb form of it, it's always an active thing, so it's being applied. So in the Bible, faith is an active, very much an active word, and I think that we need to think about it in those terms. I look back on the on the definition that we see in Hebrews from if, if Paul is in the writer of Hebrews, and I think he likely is. Um, you know, it, it seems nebulous, but it, it it seems like the Greeks are actually trying to imply that it's a much more active thing. In other words, what what faith is it? It has to imply for us that it's a choice. It's a choice. Similar to, you know, we know that love is not an emotion or a feeling. It's a choice. Faith, likewise, is a choice. Okay? So, where does faith come from? Okay? Where does faith come from? God's Word. Okay, well, let's look. Who has Acts 3.16? I've got that. All right, go ahead, Austin. Real out.
3: The man, the name of Jesus has healed this man, and you know how lame he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has caused his healing before your very eyes.
1: Okay. And in the New King James Version, it would read, The faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness. Okay, so where would faith come in that case? Where would it come from? Jesus, Jesus, we agree, all right, who's got Acts fifteen, eight, and 9, uh, that'd be me, all right, go for it JP, God who knows everyone's thoughts, showed that he approved of people who aren't Jewish, by giving them the Holy Spirit, as he gave the Holy Spirit to us, God doesn't discriminate
2: between Jewish and non-Jewish people, he has cleansed non-Jewish people through
1: faith as he has cleansed us Jews. Okay, so, so God and the Holy Spirit are working together to give us faith in that in that passage, right? right? Who's got Romans 12, 3? I
2: do. For I say, through grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more mighty, then he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith.
1: Okay, so, okay. Where, where'd that faith come from? God. God. All right. Who's got 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9? I do. All right, Tom.
3: But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given... By the Spirit of the Word of Wisdom to another, the Word of Knowledge by the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit.
1: Okay, so where'd that faith come from? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Who's got Hebrews 12, 1 and 2? Me. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses.
2: Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which is so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for whom the joy that was set before us, he endured the cross, despite, despite the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
1: Okay. So, where'd that faith come from? Jesus. Jesus. So, we can see that, and, and, and we could go actually on and on and on. These are just some scriptures that I'm using to illustrate the point. What we're seeing here is that faith originates with all three portions of the Godhead God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So, all of them are working together, or in some cases, working together to give us faith. But i got to tell you that as I prepared for this lesson, here's the thing. I'm big-time troubled by this. And I'll tell you why. And I actually had to call Pastor Allen because I look at this and I say, okay, well, where's faith come from? I know it comes from God. Or one of the person, personages of God. Right? The problem is, is that I know that... My father gives liberally. But here I see in the Gospels that Jesus is walking around, and he's going, oh, man, ye of little faith. And I'm having a hard time. I, I think God wants me to have faith. So why didn't he give me a lot of it? I mean, why didn't he just stinking pour it out on every one of us if we want it? Okay? What's up with that? So I'm. Try- Go ahead, Jason. I don't know the answer to that. It
3: depends on how, how strong your faith
1: is. Well, that's right, but he's he's giving it to us, and I know he gives it to us liberally. So what's the deal? Um, some like, of us have little faith.
3: Like in Job. Uh huh. Job's taught me a lot about faith. Yeah. And God has always he'll he'll put you to some tests. How strong is your faith? And wherever you get right there, it's where you're just. There's no point no more. He finally shows up.
1: Yeah, and actually, you're right, and we're going to cover that because we're going to talk about it here in just a minute about growing, growing your faith. So hold that because I want to talk about it. Um, but if we look at what, if, if we look at it, and I'm dealing with my troubles in terms of if I know that I have a daddy that gives me liberally, and I know he wants me to have faith. But sometimes I don't have it. What's up? So I talked to one of my brothers, well Stephen Joy over here, and Stephen painted a picture. He says, "Well, maybe it's like this." And I think, you know, and this one worked for me. He says, "Maybe it's like we have a treasure there that God presents, and and God lays it out there, and what you got to do is you got to trust God. You know, if if somebody if somebody laid a treasure out in front of you." and said, you can take this, one of the things that you would have to do is you'd kind of be looking around the pile of treasure and you'd be looking at the presenter and it's just in our nature to say, I don't know if I can trust this. I mean, this is too good to be true. And I think that there's probably a part of that uh, that that is true. I think that that's probably the case. So I'm praying my guts out about this. I'm just telling you, I'm praying my guts out. I'm saying, God, you're going to have to do better than that. So I appreciate my brother. But you got to tell me some more because I'm not getting it, okay? And so God told me the other night that, look at it this way, that in my economy, faith is the currency. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Well, that's a, that's a pretty de- deep statement, but I sure don't understand what that means at all. I mean, God says, in my economy, faith is the currency. That's what he told me. And I said, well, God... I ain't getting it. Again, I mean, that's, that sounds good, but I don't understand what you're telling me. And then he showed me this. I'm going to read you from Matthew 25. Jesus talking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now I'm just going to stop right there for a second and interject that It's to me that... That passage speaks all about evangelism. All about the Lord gathering his people. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Woe! So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Listen to this. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Whoa. Now I can relate to what God told me about faith being the currency in the economy of the Lord. You see this? Yes. Just God is willing, if you're not showing it, God, this is the one thing, we usually read this and we think about monetary blessing, but God, this is the one thing that God expects a return on. He's going to give you faith. He wants it back, compounded. He wants to see you walk in it. Got it? Whoa. Heck of a responsibility. So what, ha- what must happen, or what must you do for your faith to grow? Okay. Well, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So one of the things that we need to do is we need to get under some good teaching. We sit under some good preaching. We grab up the word of the Lord and we get close to the Lord to understand exactly what he expects of us and what he wants us to do. We come to church on Sundays and we sit under Pastor Allen's preaching and others so that we can understand and be exhorted to walk in the faith that God wants us to walk in. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Whoa! Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? So we need to be introspective about whether or not we're walking in the faith the way that God would ask us to walk in. We need to test ourselves. It's an exam, guys. James 1, verses 2 and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We're going to jump up and down when we get tested. Hard thing to do, but as we say, the test brings about the testimony and glory to God. It also builds our faith. We can look back on that test that we walked through or the test that we're walking through right now and we can glory in it knowing that we're going to come out the other side and our faith is going to be stronger. Trials produce a stronger faith. Back in the back in the early 90s, there was an experiment. They built it. There's about three or four acres under. They're completely self enclosed out in Arizona. It's called bios, Biosphere Two. They built it in the late 80s, actually. Anyway, they 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 built all of these. They were literally hermetically enclosed, and they built all of these little biologies in this building. They had a little jungle in there, a little coral reef, and and different types of things. And they even put people in there to see how long they could live in this closed-cycle community. And one of the things that they learned is that the trees that they were growing in the biosphere were not doing well. And one of the reasons that they weren't doing well is because there was no wind in the biosphere. And so they were growing up, but they were not being blown around, and so they were getting tall but they were just collapsing under their own weight because they were not having to withstand the wind that, that trees normally do. They, the trees literally failed because there was no wind. Similarly, when we stand it through trials, we are being strengthened, we are being purified, we are made, being made into better tools for the use by the kingdom of the Lord. And then there's one other thing that we can be doing, and that is Luke This is a strange exchange in Luke 17, verses 4 and 5. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, (laughs) I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, I mean, one of the things that will increase our faith is we have to be obedient and submissive to God. Right? That will increase our faith. So that brings us to works, right, guys? Works must accompany a genuine faith because genuine faith is always connected with regeneration, being born again, becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we literally become a new creation in Christ Jesus, we can't help but get, begin to work. Let me tell you a story just real quick. Um, as people of of the book, As Believers in Christ Jesus, God has instilled in us a heart, and, and, and he talks to us all the time, I really believe that, and <clears throat> I, know a, I know a man, and I'm going to really leave this quite generic, but he is the, he's the CEO of a very large corporation, very large. Really big, and he's a Christian, and he's in a position to where, as the CEO he's had a, and it's not a guy that goes to this church, um, he's having to make decisions because of the pressure that comes at him from the stockholders and the owners of the company and 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 the financial institutions that actually have a piece of the company and he has to make decisions that don't line up with his Christian faith. And I can look at that guy, since he's been in that position, and I you know, know him as a Christian, and know him after a few years walking this walk, and I can tell you, you can see that it's taken its toll. The man is different. What God wants us to do is he wants us to line up with his word. As Christians, as Believers, as as faith walkers, we're going to line up, and when we're in obedience to His word, things are going to go well with us. And one of those things that are that we're going to do is we're going to we're going to we're going to work. We're going to do the works that God has called us to do. Amen. Amen. Brothers, my my prayer. I'm going to I'm going to read just a little passage here from uh, from actually 500 years ago. 500 years ago, and then I'm going to close. I'm only going to read part of this, but this is Martin Luther's definition of faith. It actually was taken out of Martin Luther's Bible of 1522. Listen to this. And I'll give you a copy of of, of this. It's actually a lot longer, and all of it's really good, but I'm just going to read you the the last paragraph. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who has shown you such grace. Thus, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. Therefore, watch out for your own false ideas and guard against good-for-nothing gossips who think they're smart enough to define faith and works but really are the greatest of fools. Ask God to work faith in you or you will remain forever without faith no matter what you wish, say, or can do. Really powerful. Brothers, here's the thing my My hope, you know, we all hear about the word of faith churches, and I guess that there's a place for those. But my hope for all of us and this body would be that we would be a works of faith body. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening.
2: That's
0: good. Everybody have any questions you were sharing uh, and the scripture says that everyone is given a measure of faith yeah uh, as you were sharing that I saw everybody getting the exact same measure of faith and it literally being weak like a muscle It had never been worked. Yeah, they've never been tested, never been tried. They've never lifted weights, never walked a baby. Yeah, but as they walked and fell and had some things, life trials and all that, faith started getting stronger. The older they got, mm-hmm. the the more they walked in and using that muscle, the stronger they got. So that was yeah, it's good technology.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, good. Yeah. So it's like saying faith without works is weak. Yeah. Yeah, and can be taken away from you. I like to think of it
3: as samurai style. <laughs> Remember, samurais are or babies. They're given a sword, one sword. They have to work out with it all the way up to adulthood. And if that sword is weak, they're weak. If that sword is strong, they're strong. So they always sharpen it, they always. So pretty much that's kind of how it is with us in our faith
0: good anybody else
2: today hey, we were talking about dynamite at work and our conversation morphed more from dynamite to C4 <laughs> <laughs> C4 is composition 4 it's like putty and you can chew it you can even light it on fire. But if you mix heat and percussion, it will blow up. Mm.
0: <laughs>
2: and we have to mix faith with works mm. to get the desired mm. result. Yeah, you, understand, you know, you can chew it. I don't know why anybody wants to chew it. <laughs> but you can chew it like that. I mean, and and you can even use it to light a fire and cook your food. But... Don't mix the two together, Mm -hmm. because you'll have an explosion, and that's that's what happens when we mix our measure of faith, whatever that measure is. Mm -hmm. It may be a little tiny speck, but if we mix it with faith, if we mix faith with words, whether it's a whole
0: lot or just a tiny speck,
2: we're going to get the desired result. Yeah, Yeah.
0: good. Couple more.
2: Well, I figured out that if faith is the currency, of the king of God, I'm living below the poverty yeah. level. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> he spoke
0: that so directly to me it did explain <laughs> uh, it. I think in his teaching he's appealing to the need for them in obedience uh, to the second great commandment, loving their neighbor as herself. Mm-hmm. Context originally in the earlier in the chapter he's dealing with favoritism. Or, or partiality, and uh, their need to obey that. It takes faith sometimes, because some people you're going to love as yourself, or people you may not think will benefit you, as though we're to dole our love out in small portions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if our faith is in God,
2: oh, good.
0: then we'll love everybody freely. That's good. That's good. And uh, obviously, we... we uh, <coughs> There's a certain need for taking care of our responsibilities, so the people we owe money to aren't getting ripped off because we gave away our rent money to the
2: mm-hmm.
0: to the homeless guy. But we're to do our part and trust God to help us. Earlier in the chapter, he's dealing with people that were being self-serving in their treating of others because it really was a lack of faith on their part, and they spoke of having faith in God. I'm saved and all that, but there was a lack of obedience that, that demonstrated a lack of faith. Actually, I think. And uh, so anyway it's good Greg thank you wow <laughs>